everybody, welcome to episode 97 of Literary Disco, Dawn. Today we'll be discussing the novel Dawn by Octavia E. Butler, a novel that follows a woman who wakes up on an alien spaceship a few hundred years after humans have undergone nuclear war. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel and novelist and critic Todd Goldberg. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey. How you guys doing? Great. This In this episode, I think um, a couple things need to happen in this episode. Um, we need to make sure Ryder doesn't sound like he's being strangled or that he has throat cancer. I think I think you need to apologize to our listeners, Ryder, for whatever was going on with you for in the last episode. In their ears, yeah. And that, I think that's the first time I've had you've actually had more mic screw ups. Early on, it was always about you and your mics and your weird popping sounds. I was I was literally at an event yesterday in San Diego, a lovely event at Grossmont College, and I was signing lots of books and having a nice time and talking. And uh, a very angry young man came up to me and was like, I really love your show, uh, but that last episode, uh, you know, Ryder's, Ryder's mic was all messed up. And they just st- stood there and looked at me. And I was like, yeah. yeah, I don't know what I can do for you. And then I know. We, we probably shouldn't have released it, actually. We probably should have just re-recorded well, it. Well, I want the listeners... Or thrown it away to the dustbin, yeah. like... We have one other episode. The unreleased episode, what is it, like, oh, 85? The Clasp. So we should... The Clasp. We should, great, great a great novel. book. Yeah. <laughs> we should talk briefly... Good to talk about. Yeah. We should talk briefly about The Clasp by Sloan Crossley before we do anything. So, Julia, what do you remember about... And it was a great episode. It was like an hour and a half. It was yeah, super funny. Yeah, I was funny. very negative on the book. And I actually I was kind of glad that the episode didn't come out because I was like, you know, I ended up recommending that book to people. And the fact that I kind of shit on it on an entire episode, I felt bad after the fact. I was like, you know, I was a little harsh. Julia, wow. what, what were your thoughts in the class briefly? Um, well, I don't know because uh, what happened was, well, first of all, I feel like our listeners need to know, what have we done? 99 episodes. We have found a new technical problem every time. <laughs> uh, and the class episode... I deleted my file. My file vanished into the night. And then I waited too long to re-record it. Um, And I, like, listened to you guys, and I tried to remember what I said. But I talked so much in that episode. There was just these, like, huge, long gaps where I was just yakking on. And I I did not remember anything (laughs) that I said. Like, I think it was mostly about Guy de Maupassant, (laughs) but I have no fucking clue what... I said in that episode, I tried to redo it. And Tucker was like, this is such a mess. I'm throwing it away. So I don't know what I said. It's, it's a black. What I remember vividly is that I uh, particularly enjoyed the class by Sloan Crossley. I recommended highly her books of essays. I found it intelligent, funny, witty, and the perfect book for summer 2015, (laughs) which is, I think when we reviewed it. Or maybe <laughs> that's not or true. Christmas. That's not it was, true. It was it's not that quite long some ago. time ago. But so if if anyone is interested in what we thought, I liked it. Julia had some advanced thoughts, and Ryder started out liking it, and then surprisingly, by the end of the episode, really did not like it. <laughs> I believe I made comparisons to Garden State, the movie. <laughs> I believe I, believe, I, believe I ended up sort of saying like it was a, 
like a, a, a weird sort of uh, like somewhat nostalgic, empty, um, empty of actual content, but emotional. Yeah, yeah whatever. You don't need it to go not, into it. 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 <laughs> In retrospect, I have recommended it to more than one person. So you had your reprieve. You had yeah. your chance. You, you didn't need to say it. <laughs> you, you you had your chance not to have it out there, Ryder, and and now you've done it. Wow. All right. Well, let's. Uh, shall we talk about uh, Dawn? Which let's. is uh, I forgot to say yes. the subtitle that it is book one of the Xenogenesis series. Is this our first real sci-fi book that we've read? I think so. Um, in space. I'm trying to think. Um, we've done fantasy. Um, yeah. Definitely. When Wilfred L was on the show, but I'm trying to remember. Have we read like a strictly like a, a, a science? Oh, well, yeah. we read we read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but oh, that's sure. a satire. Sure. Um, no, I, I guess we read some dystopian stuff. No, that's sin. Um, this was, no, one, I'm think- this was one of the first, you know, full on sci-fi books. I feel like I've read in a long, long time, just in general. Yeah. Um, so why did we read this book? I believe this was a Julia suggestion. Julia, you want to, uh, I suggested it. Um, I suggested it for three reasons. One, I was aware that we hadn't read a, a sci-fi or even very like, excuse the term, genre ebook in a while. So no sci-fi, no fantasy, no horror or anything. So I wanted to suggest that. Um, number two, we have been super white lately. So I wanted to read an author who was not white. And Octavia Butler is awesome. But three, the, uh, the real reason that this came up is that, you know, I had never read anything by her, but there was this little meme floating around the internet um, a couple months ago where somebody found a, a notebook of hers where she basically like wrote herself this amazing note convincing herself that she would be a best-selling author. And it was so amazing. We should oh, actually wow. look it up. Um, Ryder, you saw it, right? I remember you commenting on I it. I loved it, yeah. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, she basically, uh, I guess it was early on in her writing career, and she just, it's sort of like this you know, what What are they called? Like the, the dream board or whatever, the wish board that you're supposed to write, like uh-huh. of what your, your, your goals are and, and how you're going to achieve them. It's great. Um, yeah. You never read like the kindred or anything? No. Nope. Or seen, seen the movie kindred? Nope. That uh, was, it was, I, I saw the movie and then read the book afterwards. Um, it's a very odd movie that I really liked, like in the eighties. Yeah. Did you ever see it writer? No. I've never like, heard of her before. I mean, I, but to be fair, I've never been a big sci-fi person. I just, it just hasn't happened in my life. So, mm-hmm. but um, after reading this book, I'm like, wow, I should have probably have heard of her because I, I think, I, I thought this book was incredible, and I think she's brilliant. Um, okay, I've, I definitely. I mean, I don't know. I, I found I, the note. I'm gonna read it. Okay, you guys. Okay, let's hear it. All right, so. You have to imagine, you guys can can look it up, but it's on the back of just like a cheap spiral notebook, okay? In her okay. handwriting. I shall be a best-selling writer. After Imago, I don't know what that is, each of my books will be on the bestseller list of LA Times, New York Times, Publishers Weekly, etc. My novels will go onto the above list, and this is all underlined, whether publishers push them hard or not, whether I'm paid a high advance or not, whether I ever win another award or not. This is my life. I write best-selling novels. My novels go onto the bestseller list or sh- on or shortly after publication. My novels 
each travel up to the top of the bestseller list and they reach the top and they stay on top for months, at least two. Each of my novels does this. So be it. See to it. I will find the way to do this. So be it. See to it. My books will be read by millions of people. I will buy a beautiful home in an excellent neighborhood. I will send poor black youngsters to other to writers' workshops. I will help poor black youngsters broaden their horizons. I will help poor black youngsters go to college. I will get the best of health care for my mother and myself. I will hire a car whenever I want or need to. I will travel whenever and wherever in the world that I choose. My books will be read by millions of people. So be it. See to it. That was what was written on the back of this cheap little notebook. Wow. And it all came true. I love it. And she did oh, it. I love it. That's badass. That is amazing. Come on. That is amazing. It's so, so awesome. powerful. So yeah. that she wrote that in like 1972 or something. Um, I don't know. Her first it's book in... came out in uh, her first book came out in 1976. It looks like. Um. Well, whenever that book came out. And her rise to prominence began in 1970. Whenever her first. Mm. Whenever that book Imago or Imago uh, came out, that's uh, seems like around when she wrote this. Well, you know, um, Ryder, you actually have something in common with Octavia Butler, which is that she was also a student at the UCLA Extension Writers Program. Really? Yeah, that's where she got her start. Was uh, taking courses through UCLA Extension Writers Program. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, it shall we talk cool. about the the novel? Yeah, well, we should talk a little bit about Octavia Butler, too. I mean, um, she, you know, she, she's been dead for about a decade, I believe. I think she died in 2006. Um, but she, um, she's just one of the most acclaimed sci-fi writers ever, and easily the most acclaimed African-American science fiction writer ever, and really a, um, a leading voice in, in getting African-American kids involved in sci-fi and fantasy. Um, she also got a MacArthur Fellowship, the uh, the so-called Genius Grant. Um, it's not even so-called; it is a Genius Grant. Um, and she she won um, she won every single major uh, sci-fi and fantasy award um, that you could win. Um, and you know, just basically was um, a legend um, for her entire writing career, for the most part, um, an absolute legend. Um, However, I have some opinions about Dawn, <laughs> but we'll get to that. All right. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> All so, that being said. Um, Ryder. Yeah. Ryder, why don't you summarize? I want to hear you summarize the plot of this Yeah, book I'd like to hear that too. it has too. a crazy, crazy ass plot. Yeah. Well, so the book, the book opens with um, our main character waking up in a... Um, sort of weird space that we eventually learn is a like holding cell um and that she is on an alien spaceship that is floating in space somewhere above near the earth and that she had survived a big war between uh Russia and America because this is the 80s and everything was about nuclear attack and Russia and uh so she that's the last thing she remembers is that she was surviving uh, in this sort of post-apocalyptic Earth world. And it's actually been 200 years that she's been in suspended animation. And she is being 
250 years. She's been in suspended animation, and um, now she's being um, awoken by these aliens, and they start communicating with her and start to inform her that they are, are planning to acclimate her to their ways of life, and they are very strange tentacled beings that are repulsive for her to look at, but they have ways of calming her down and um, they slowly acclimate her to their presence and then eventually inform her that they want her to train a group of humans to go back to Earth, to repopulate Earth. But in the meantime, you are kind of filled with dread as a reader because you never know if you can trust these aliens. They are superior in their intellect and their capabilities and they have almost complete control over her physically. Um, at any moment, they can knock her out. They can drug her with her tentacles. They can make her feel pleasure. They can make her feel pain. So it's this bizarre, um, strange, creepy feeling that you keep getting that uh, that she's all, she basically has to question what makes her human. You know, right. is fighting these aliens and resisting their plan for humanity and for her in particular. Is that going to make her more of a human being or is she just being retrograde and animalistic um, and that they actually have a more enlightened, advanced view of humanity that she should subscribe to? But that it's complicated. Um, and that, I mean, I guess that's the basic plot. We shouldn't give too much away. But um, and I already feel like I've given too much away because I think a lot of reading this book is enjoying the slow revelation of these facts and, and the relationship that these beings have to her and to human beings. Um, how, how, how'd I do? That's not bad. Great. That's not bad. You, you didn't mention right off the top, like I would have the human, human, alien three way that happens. Um, so I would have probably mentioned that off the top as sort of a trigger warning that if you're I... afraid <laughs> of being involved in a three way with a multi tentacled sex alien, that this isn't the right book for you. Okay. And maybe that's my that... bias. Yeah, you you really are focused on the 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 alien sex. I, no, I, it's not the alien sex. Uh, he, here's my thing. Here's my thing. <laughs> I I had just a horribly difficult time in any way, shape, or form connecting emotionally at all to anybody in this book, and particularly to the aliens themselves. So there's, there's several aliens that play significant roles uh, in this book. And each of them, um, you know, does a different thing to Lilith, our main character. And, I, like, the entire time I was just thinking, well, the aliens are just going to eventually kill everybody anyway. Why do I even give a shit about this? And so I had this really profound inability to care because I, a lot of times I just could not make the leap in believability required of me which i think is odd because i'm usually pretty good about that but i just was like oh they're just aliens they're just evil they're not kind that everything's a lie that what does it matter and then wow. there was the three you wow. they would have just wow. killed you so wow, quickly Todd. yeah they would have hacked <laughs> me with a machete you know it's funny you that you say that you couldn't chosen 
No, it's I would like not you have been you chosen. couldn't connect emotionally because I thought that was the whole point is that you are dying for emotion in this book. And, you know, Lilith is dying for emotion because these aliens are just so calm and boring and they're so, like, straightforward and weird. And they just have this, like, um, it's like this advanced autism about them, you know? It's like <laughs> yeah. where they're right I and believe, they're smarter I believe and they have all the right ideas. Yeah, but 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 you know what I'm saying, like, yeah. and and yet, sh- and so when she's like sort of stomping her foot and claiming anytime, and she was like, "This is not the way humans are. The humans are are more human than this, or more organic, or more primal." Then you realize, like, well, that's the whole point of the book. Like, the whole point is to put those those urges that we have for sex and food and and uh, tribalism, you know, and and to put those into a perspective hierarchy. and hierarchy, right? Well, that's the main thing is that these aliens have no sense of hierarchy they right. they don't believe in hierarchy the way we do and so when it comes to issues of gender or power it i thought that this book complicated that so well by by making you uncomfortable with 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 like i kept intellectually agreeing with the aliens theories and being like eh, it kind of makes sense yes yeah, she should just go along with the program and then on the other hand being like don't go along with the program they're gonna take over you know they're gonna destroy the human race but it's like well what's the human race is not worth saving if it's just about these awful things. Um, and I, I, you know, and that's, I don't want to spoil too much of the book, but there are, once she does finally see another human being, it's not a happy reunion. It's, it's a very gendered hierarchical dynamic. And I, I loved that scene because it, to me, it's like, it was built up perfectly where you're, you're rooting for her to have some sense of, contact with another human being and then when she gets the contact it's awful because human beings are pretty horrible and sometimes and i you know i also felt like it was a scene that would never exist if a man had written this book um you know the fact that this was written like i feel like speculative sci-fi fiction is so often about you know action shit like yeah know, i mean the this thing is, this the, is... with the guns and get on the other spaceship and the, and this but, was like but th- this book eventually devolves into that um, I mean, because I think it has to service both of its audiences. Like, it's right. it's very clearly a book of its time, the 1980s, um, and the you know the sort of second wave feminism that were that writers like Marge Piercy was writing about in um, Woman on the Edge of Time, which also ends up being um, a space book, even though it's also about time travel, or Margaret Atwood's more um, sci-fi books or fantasy-ish books. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I, I read a lot of books that sort of hit on these same themes in, in the mm-hmm. past. Um, but I, I just, I, end, you know, the, I think the, the issue is that I ended up getting so dulled by the reams and reams and reams of exposition about, you know, all the science and I understand it's science fiction, but I, every time these non-gendered monotone voices would tell Lilith about the way things were going to be. I was just like, okay, here's another long passage of stuff I don't care about. And then once Lilith actually started being in command of the 40 other humans, so she she has to awaken 40 humans that she's going to train to go to Earth to, to repopulate the planet, essentially. And um, she makes some interesting choices about who to reanimate first, and she's... She's been made into, um, she's got essentially um, 
alien genetics now. Superpowers. That they've, that, that they've inserted inside of her where she's stronger and faster and she can, you know, she has some abilities. Like, that was cool. I, I sort of liked the, um, the um, Lord of the Flies-nish of that, that that goes on. But the lack of tension I felt was because all, all the stuff that's happening, the aliens are watching all of it and can ultimately control it. So I felt like everything that was happening didn't have that big of a stake because the aliens could stop whatever they wanted to stop. But Julia, you haven't well, said anything yet. Yeah, I, I'm so fascinated because, I mean, I was very aware. I have not read other Octavia Butler, but um, I'm very aware of her as a black writer and as someone who's written a lot about slavery. And I think, Todd, what you're describing is truly the reason that I love the book because, you know, I'm not... I, I'm not sure if it can be communicated how existential this dread is that she wakes up into mm -hmm. because she is so deeply enslaved that there's no possibility of ever going back to her life, no matter no matter what, no matter if she leads a rebellion, no matter if she picks her top 40, whatever, you know, like her life is over. It's just total enslavement in a way where her overlords can come down and do whatever the fuck they want because not only do they own her, but they control her entire world and society. And I just thought that was such an amazing, amazing parallel to the black experience under slavery mm. that it, it just, it, it really blew my mind. It was like, you know, like, yeah, sure, we can end slavery or we can whatever be in 2016, but we will never undo the fact that, you know, white people took over the planet and then enslaved a bunch of people. And that's, that's our world now. And, mm -hmm. you know, what do you, what do you make of that? And how do you live through that? And how do you decide whether or not to keep on living and, and who you have to be with? Um, and I thought that was so fascinating. I thought the, the exact like dull dullness that you're describing is, was, was very emotional for me. Like, I don't care if I'm empathizing with the aliens, the alien is us, the alien is white people, you know? So like, I, I'm not interested in, uh, you know, like deciding how right they are. It's like, what is this mm -hmm. emotional description of living through a world where you will absolutely never have power? Never. And that was really cool. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. I, I, I think that is well done too. And you know, what is interesting is at the beginning of the book, so maybe like the first, I guess it's maybe the first third or the first quarter of it where she is actually still uh, in the room. Or maybe it's, I mean, it's, it's like, what, 50 pages of the book. She's she's in this room. Yeah. I kept thinking about the book Room, yeah. um, which was then the movie Room. Which and I yeah. where, you know, where your life is being controlled by some outside force. And, um, you know, so the psychological side of her imprisonment and enslavement was interesting. Uh, basically, I was interested in Lilith, the character, but, you know, Octavia Butler does is trying to get you to eventually empathize with some of the aliens as well. So at first, she, she describes them as these emotionless creatures that, you know, don't, like, are, that can't lie. And then, of course, you find out that everything that that they do is, you know, some form of omission in some way. But I, you know, I, 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 I found it predictable because I knew what had to happen. Like I could just sort of say, oh, well, I mean, I won't, I won't ruin the ending, but oh, of course that's what's going to happen to Lilith. 
Like that has to happen to Lilith. This this thing that happens to her. I don't know how it's going to happen to her, but I know it's going to happen to her. Um, I mean, well, you know, people, this book's been out for forty years. We can say what happens to her. <laughs> so I don't know. I want people so, to go read it, though. I actually, you know, okay. Spoiler from now on, we're going to spoil everything. All right. All right, we're going to spoil everything. Turn off this episode if you want to read a great sci-fi book. Go on. So, obviously, they're going to use Lilith as a vessel for an alien-human hybrid child. Um, I mean, they talk about it earlier in the book, and then at the end, when she is uh, impregnated by um, the aliens without her consent, I mean, there's a lot of of rape, obviously, in this book, too, but in, in, in physical and mental form. But, like, by the end of the book, when, when she's, she's shocked and stunned to find out that the aliens have impregnated her, I was like, well, how did she not know that was coming? That's all they've ever wanted to do, is yeah. create this alien-human hybrid. Of course they're going to impregnate her. I mean, you guys saw it coming, right? Kind of. Yeah. But I also, but, but I, I don't know. I, I was definitely still, I mean, that's what was so, to me, what was so interesting about the book was that I, like, the alien argument is pretty damn good. Like you listen to what mm-hmm. they're saying and you can feel it. And then the way, the things that they put Lilith through, you know, they keep putting her into these situations and she sort of pushes the boundaries in some way. And then they say like, you know what? You're good. You're a great person. Thank you for pushing the boundary. Or you learned a good lesson there. And you're like, Oh, okay. She did the right thing. She did the right thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then you're like, wait a minute, but the right thing was exactly what they wanted her to do. And so it just keeps this like cycle of freedom, like any moment of freedom that you think she has turns out to be all part of the alien master plan. And that right. kept being like, just so frustrating. And yet every time I kept feeling the same struggle and the same sense of anticipation that maybe this time she actually is going to break the rules and get out or you know, find a, you know, a connection with a human being that is not going to be part of the alien plan. And, and that, I loved that. I just love the strangeness of that feeling. Like I kind of root for the aliens. I kind of understand what they're saying because human beings did screw it all up. She'd be dead. Otherwise better to be alive and better to repopulate the earth than not. And this seems like a pretty good way. And she really enjoyed having sex with the aliens. So. Oh boy. <laughs> That scene, man. That is so weird. Well, and I mean, I thought that that whole, the introduction of the alien sexuality was incredible. It was so creepy. And and yet, you know, kind of like oddly, like you're like, all right, this this is kind of a good thing for her, I think. And it was so off. Oh, it's so weird. It's such a weird whole section of the book. Oh, my God. I love well, it. I love this book. I think, you know, I, I, mean, I uh, agree with both of you because, I mean, you guys can talk about alien sex in a second. Uh, but <laughs> I, I felt... You know, like, I did know what was going to happen. But again, that's like what I love about it is like her oppression is total. There is no freedom. The only freedom is against logic. And that's that's really interesting is, you know, you can rebel in a myriad of ways, but you're never going to have true freedom. So what does that what does that even mean? And like if if we are overtaken by aliens or if we are enslaved by whatever aliens other human beings etc you know like evil is not always mustache twisting villain you know every villain has a logic and this is just like logic with sex tentacles coming out of their heads but of course it of course it makes sense to them that's how they survive they're a parasitic space species as you know as are we so 
<laughs> it, it was so logical as to be as to be boring. I agree with you, Todd. Like that logic is just like marching slowly through what I will note is a very mm. short book. So it's not like exhausting. Um, mm. But that that claustrophobia of a complete lack of uh, activation on Lilith's part is to me the entire point of the novel. And I'm sure like in two and three, she'll do like cool shit and maybe something will be achieved. But you know, this book is basically just like, you're enslaved. Not only have you never seen another person in 250 years when you've been asleep, but the entire world you know is destroyed. You can never go back. You can only go forward and only by our right. own agency. And I know that sounds more cliche than it actually read to me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's if it's less cliche than it is because uh, you know, I don't know. I, I I think Octavia Butler is hitting hard on her points. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, it, the the parallels obviously to civil rights and social justice and all of that. Are, I mean, it's crystal clear. Oh yeah. Um, and the secondary human characters fall very easily into slots. Um, Lilith is a complex character. The other um, the other humans are, are not complex characters. Well, the first human she, she comes into contact with, Paul Titus, um, who tries to rape her, um, is, uh, you know, he's, he's also complicit with the aliens, and so he ends up being, you know, a, a strangely compelling character for the the five pages we get to see him. Um, but, you know, I, I, I felt like the messages were coming through loud and clear and that a little bit more nuance would, would not have hurt the book. But it's also clear in reading it that, like at some point I realized, oh, the, the plot is not actually going to advance much. That they're going to do this one thing and then the book is going to stop and then, you know, the next two books are going to be the more interesting ones. And, I, you know, from a from a narrative standpoint, you know, I understand writing a book to get to the sequel. Um, but I don't think it's satisfying as a standalone book for me. Like, I, I will read the sequel because now I got to know what happens. Um, but I, I, I just, I don't know, the entertainment factor wasn't high enough for me, I guess. That's amazing. The, I was so the, entertained. The intellectual part was, was good. The That's entertainment fun. part was like, eh. Well, I think the tone... That's funny. I was so on board. Like yeah. when the second she was about halfway through the book is when she's like given the files of the people that she has to choose, like to assemble her team to repopulate mm -hmm. the earth. I was so excited. I was like, Oh yeah, this is what this book is going to be about. <laughs> like she's going to be the new like leader of the free people on this planet. Right. So I was genuinely like, Oh yeah. What's it going to be like? Who's she going to wake up? You know, it, was, it felt like a choose your own adventure book or something. It was like so mm -hmm. exciting. And and then, like, the turn that the humans basically wake up and look at her and go, you're a traitor to humanity. You're working with these aliens. And to realize, like, oh, my God, they totally have a point. And, like, one of them mm -hmm. says, like, oh, because one of them gets killed trying to fight off the aliens. And, they're, and the other humans are like, well, at least he died human. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, right. She totally could choose to fight. But she would die. But she would die a human being. And I just loved that whole... I don't know, you know, the whole tension, I felt it. I felt it on a real, it wasn't just an intellectual level. It was on a story level. It was there. It was like, I'm rooting for this person to help her captors keep her captive. 
that's so fucked up. Like, it, it just, it, you know, the book basically messed with my head the way it was messing with Lilith's head. And I love that. I love a book that, that makes me complicit with things that I'm not comfortable with necessarily. You know? did, yeah. did either of you read um, The Known World by Edward P. Jones? Yes. No. Um, Great book. Which is an amazing book. And there's some parallels. So it's about a black slave owner. Um, I mean, it's a really, it's a, I mean, it won the Pulitzer Prize or National Book Award or something um, the year it came out. But I was thinking about that book while reading this one um, because it, I, I mean, this book does force you to question what you would do in a similar situation. If, if our biological imperative is to survive, if you are given the opportunity to survive and you have to sacrifice the lives of other people that you don't have an emotional attachment to, would you do it? That's essentially the argument that she's having in her own mind. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I think that is compelling, but here's, here's my question for you guys. Like when, so there's a giant fight scene um, between the humans and the aliens um, that lasts, you know, 15 pages or something and there's a lot of machetes and there's a lot of stopping for ponderous dialogue um <laughs> good good ponderous dialogue <laughs> good ponderous dialogue but were you so there, there's one pondering. there's there's one alien that we i think you know we we end up having a fondness for um what's her name or its name uh Nicki Minaj Nicki Minaj is Nikanj. Nikki Minaj. And I kept, I kept, I kept, when I read the book, I would always pronounce the words differently in my head. Um, but we, we sort of like Nikanj because she grows up or it grows up in front of us. Mm -hmm. And, um, sexually and so matures. It sexually matures. Yeah. Eventually it matures so much that it has a three way with Lilith and this dude, Joseph. Um, but even then, when Nikanj was in jeopardy, I was like, yeah, go ahead and kill Nikanj. <laughs> did did you have concerns for Nikanj? Did you have feelings for Nikanj? No, I felt like the whole book was about feeling torn about whether you should have feelings or not. Yeah, you know, like I kept being like, oh no, this is gross. This is totally gross and weird. What is she doing? She has to rub his weird little penis that vagina thing that's coming out. It's like what? I don't understand. And it's like, they're describing it as like this weird, and he's like showing it to her and you're like, Ugh, and he's sick and he's full of desire for what? Yeah. And, and you know, and so on one hand, I'm like really grossed out and like, yeah, let him die. And then on the other hand, I'm like, well, this is kind of sweet. Like this is like a, a 15 year old alien going through some sort of puberty. And this is like actually kind of a sweet connection, interspecies connection. And this is not, what? you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I kept going back and forth. I kept feeling like I should be really creeped out. And then I was like, no, this is actually kind of, well, maybe, you know, this isn't a bad deal. I don't know, man. Uh, maybe I gave the aliens too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Julia? Did you have deep feelings for Nikon? No. Uh, I think that I experienced this book you know, it's interesting that you bring up Room because I didn't think of that, and which is surprising because we've talked about it recently and it starts in an identical way. But, I mean, I experienced this book almost as just very close to Lilith, so close that, you know, you're just with her and, you know, she's so isolated emotionally 
that mm-hmm. it's okay if you don't care about everyone else in a way. You're just like, you're with her. You're in her head. You're having her experience her ethical dilemmas. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like this book on more of the horror level than of the action level. Like, yeah, the the three ways and the fights and whatever. Mm. Yeah, like, I don't care. Um, I mean, I, I care on a plot level, but the, the tone and the dread. Isn't that horrifying though? No. Isn't it horrifying that the action. I think being sort of forced, well, not forced, but they, so the aliens can exert emotional control over you. Yep. And so that she is essentially forced into a super pleasurable experience with the alien and Joseph, with the alien being the conduit to her um, her tantric sex experience, where she ends up <laughs> screaming so much in pleasure that she's hoarse. Um, like, I mean, it, it's it's your captor is forcing you to have pleasurable sex with it. I, I can't get beyond that. Like, it's... It, why not? Like this is a part of that's a part of the human experience. Honestly, like a horrible, horrifying, evil yeah. part, but a complex and interesting historical cultural problem we have. She's being she's being raped she's <laughs> and being forced raped. to feel pleasure from it. Yeah, absolutely. But like And I I I I, I couldn't get beyond it. I mean, I understand why obviously Octavia Butler wrote it. Like it I get it. But I, I, I found it so personally distasteful <laughs> that I I had to disconnect emotionally because it was making me so angry. It was, it was like when I was reading Roxane Gay's book, uh, Untamed State, where this woman who's uh, held captive um, by the people who abduct her and who rape her over and over and over again for like 300 pages. I read the whole thing, obviously. I, I really enjoyed the book. Um but man, I like I didn't. I had to keep reading it for long stretches because if I put it down, I'd be like, "Man, I cannot get back into that room where this woman is being raped over and over again." Um, so, so that's why the entertainment value for this book was not that high for me, mm-hmm. because I I just found it so ugh, skin crawling for me. But maybe that's the intent. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the intent. <laughs> that's yeah. definitely... I don't think we're supposed to like. <laughs> Nobody's hey, like, was hey, I was super entertained by your rape scene that you wrote. Whether <laughs> she liked it or she didn't, I liked it. No, like. It's... But she writes that scene in beautiful, flowery language. I mean, she's got every metaphor for prolonged tantric orgasms that you could possibly imagine. Yeah, well, I, but but the whole point is that like that's that's where the alien's power comes through, right? It's like. Mm-hmm. The human that she runs into actually tries to rape her on a human level. And we're like immediately like, well, that's awful. That's awful. That's horrible. What an awful monster. And then, you know, but he also has a very good argument. He's like, we're the only people left. Let's get it on. Like, we need to make sure it's a human baby, you know. So he's given an argument that we're like, no, no, no. You can't be violent. You can't be awful. But then when it's like a sweet young alien who she's helped mature and he can kind of be a gateway to this other human that she is genuinely in love with and give them this wonderful experience then you're suddenly going well is that i mean 
I don't know. Would I plug myself into a weird tentacle thing if it could make me feel this good? <laughs> and then you're like, eh, no, that's so weird. This is so wrong. This is so so. I it's more complicated. Like I find that I think that's the whole point is that you're that yeah. You're, it's not immediately obviously moral. It's like it makes you question everything. It makes you question the humanity. It makes you question your own feelings about how you feel about reading these scenes in this book and how she feels and. I love that. Like, I just think that's what great literature should do is make us, like you say, skin crawl. But like, that's a specific, like rape. I don't think rape, I would never put, like reading a rape scene is not like a skin crawling scene for me. It's like a horrifying, like close the book. Like mm-hmm. but skin crawl is exactly the way this whole book makes me feel. And like, that's so cool. Like just this weird, blank, unemotional alien presence. Like, ugh. it's just like, I don't know. I'm just uncomfortable, but I, I, I kind of want to know what's going to happen. I thought it was great, man. That's, that's yeah. exactly, and I think to me, it's like a very specific sweet spot that this book hits. Well, and I think that, you know, the, to get back to the rape thing, you know, it's addressing that rape is complicated and there's a lot of different systems in which it happens. And like, just because it's pleasurable doesn't mean you're not part of this like insanely oppressive system where you have basically no choice but to go through that um like how do you she can never consent because she has no freedom like these are issues that were that are very palpable in our culture right now so i think that's why i was like kind of hitting my sweet spot because you know it doesn't matter how many pleasure zones the tentacles hit you know like she's not free she is not free her children will not be free (laughs) you know that's period it's still and that's why it's creepy it's saying like you know this is obviously not cool and gross and rapey and weird but she's also feeling pleasure how do i feel about that that's that's the point let me ask you guys a question so um so lilith in her earth life had a husband and a kid, both of whom are dead. And earlier in the book, like, you know, very early, she expresses sadness and remorse that they're dead. And then basically they're forgotten. Um, But her real time, so she's been alive for 275 years, but her time in suspended animation and being awake as a captive is about two years that she's aware of. Uh-huh. I kept thinking, shouldn't she be missing her husband and kid more? Um, well, they had died before the war. Shortly before the war. Right. Because but we don't know how long the war went on for and how they, they, they sort of... But she's only they, 26. They, right. Right. So I guess this is probably only like a year or two. Yeah. So... All told, it's been three years since she lost her yeah. her family. I don't know. I just felt like she was thrust into such a strange situation that I didn't want to. I didn't want to belabor backstory. Hmm. Like I wouldn't have wanted to say. And and it's also part of the the part of her character. What becomes apparent is that she's very smart and resourceful and. You know she has grit, right? So I don't think she she doesn't you know she, her like that. They keep talking about her character and and like why she was chosen by the aliens, and it's because she's like she moves on and deals with what's right in front of her. You know, right. I definitely get that sense of okay. like stop complaining, do your shit, figure it out, which is partly why they they like her. You know, um, that that she can kind of take the pain that they're doling out. Right. 
Um, so I, I don't know. It, it's felt a, of a piece with her character. Okay. I, I do like the, I like it when you realize that yeah. she's not to be fucked with. Uh, I'm just saying to Ryder's point, you know, it's not like people watch Game of Thrones and they're like, how come Arya doesn't mention Ned Stark more? She's trying to fucking survive. You know, she's <laughs> poor Arya. Can we, can we, so this is the first time I've watched uh, Game of Thrones in real time. So I'm having a, a real problem yeah. with needing to wait a week to find out what happens next. But can we just state for the record that Sansa needs some good shit to happen, and Arya, she needs to she needs to finally find what she's looking for, which she's going to need to have sight in order. I to think do. both of those things are never going to happen. So <laughs> you can just chill. I don't know if I can. Sansa deserves some good shit, though. Can she we agree does. on that? Uh, the Starks are screwed. They're just. It's just all downhill, man. So does Game of Thrones exist if Dawn does not exist? Yes. I don't see the direct line there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't either. I'm just asking you guys. (laughs) Because when was Game of Thrones written? In the 90s, right? He started writing in the mid-90s? Something like that. Um, There's... there's no, there's not really a similar parallel because, no. like, what Game of Thrones did was take you know the, the the fantasy tropes and then add this real brutal realism and like this awful sense of you know just just twisting the the fantasy. Like the fantasy trope is that you know the prince the princess becomes the queen or, or the forgotten discarded you know guy who doesn't know he's related to the king becomes the king or whatever. It has a happy ending or the Hobbit makes the you know, saves the world by bringing the ring to Mordor and Game of Thrones just turned all that on its head by like killing the good guys right. constantly over and over again. And you know, the best people don't win because the world is brutal. And even though it has magic and this, this book is similar in the sense that like aliens with the gr- the great plan to help save humanity are actually kind of creepy and weird and make you incredibly uncomfortable and rape you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's awkward yes. that they rape you. But I feel like sci-fi has always had a sort of dark streak to it, so it's not as revolutionary to to you know aliens are are usually pretty weird. So um, the the bit about the Cold War, in essence, though, I mean that, that mm-hmm. that's the thing that made me feel like oh, this is from the 1980s. Is that there's a lot of proselytizing on this is what the U.S. and Russia would have done to you. All of it right. is the Cold oh, War. Oh, you know what it reminds me the most of is The Abyss. Do you remember The Abyss? Oh, yeah. Wow, and the original yeah. ending, The original ending of The Abyss, which was edited um, differently, but, you know, they basically the aliens uh, send a tidal wave to all the coasts. Have you guys ever seen this unedited mm-hmm. version of The Abyss? They, they send the tidal wave to destroy all of humanity, and they stop because of what our characters, our heroes have done, because they love each other. Um, and they've shown love, but but basically because of because of nuclear war, they say like, why are yeah. you doing this? Why are you killing people? Why are you going to destroy human beings? And the aliens under the sea are going to kill us off because of the the Cold War, basically. Yeah. Kids um, today. And so I feel like that was it's weighed heavily on everybody's mind. I mean, yeah. I remember it weighing heavily on my mind at the oh, age of eight. God, yeah. I was convinced the Russians were going to bomb us at any moment. Um, that's so, what that's what makes the TV show The Americans. I don't know if you guys watch The Americans. Nah, what makes it. The Americans so awesome is like the real fear that everyone has that the Russians and Americans are about to be in nuclear war at any given time. And even though you're watching it and you know that the Cold War 
is about to end, the tension doesn't change. Like you still feel it because you you care about people on a on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the the sort of proselytizing on nuclear winter and and all that stuff. I mean, I think if you're 20 years old and you read this book now, maybe you don't understand or you don't have the existential dread that we had as kids. So therefore that part of it just seems like, Oh yeah. Like that thing that happened in the civil war or whatever. No, Um, but I feel, no, cause I feel like regardless if you, what's nice about it, even if like, I agree, like the, the concept that America and Russia bombed each other and that that started the destruction of the earth, that as the launching point is, is definitely dated but theoretically, you know, intellectually, this book is about, you know, knowledge versus a sort of unconscious species desire mm-hmm. and like, you know, the, the, the our self-preservation and the knowledge that the aliens keep coming back to is like, you guys destroyed each other. You, you screwed it up. Like your way of thinking and your way of life led to you killing each other. So you need to listen to us because we know better we can help you we can cure your cancer we can not have wars and i mean that is only a compelling argument if human beings have destroyed each other right um you know like if someone were to say to us now like aliens were to suddenly capture us we'd be so much easier to say well you're a bunch of villainous aliens who've captured us and if they were to like well but isis we'd be like yeah it's that's a small subset of human beings but you know if if you buy into where this book begins, which is that human beings, you know, major governments actually decided to bomb each other and destroy each other. And these were the, you know, the peak of civilization at the time. That's, that's a pretty good argument. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, true. It's, it's true. It's a good starting point for, yeah, damning us all. Hmm. Wow. You guys are starting to change my mind a little bit. Well, like, we're book. all going to read the like sequel. Writer. Probably. Well, I have to read the sequel. I've already ordered it because the book ends right when it starts to get good. Well, yeah. If this was written now, it would have been released as like a 700-page awesome epic. Um, but right. You know, this trilogy. could never be a movie because like how do you visualize? They're making it into a They're TV series. They're making a TV show. It's the yeah. dumbest idea. It's going to be horrible. How do you visualize these things? <laughs> how do you visualize these aliens? You can't. What, what's so fun about this book is how... Uh, it's able to convey that creepy crawlingness and, and and like I have such a hard time imagining the aliens, which is cool because they're supposed to be sort of beyond our imagination. It's like you know they make he makes comparisons right. to like sea creatures at times, or she makes comparisons to sea creatures at times, and like even like when she opens or when he opens up Nikon it. God, it opens up its like most private area and it's like, oh, it looks like a starfish. And you're like, okay, I'm trying to imagine that, but it's a, I don't know if it's an like any starfish or an Audi starfish. What am I? Ugh. And you just don't even want to think about it. <laughs> what the fuck? You know what I mean? Starfish. <laughs> Hold on. What does this, that mean? When, 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 what, when, what when fucking ocean are you going to where there's any When it describes Nikonja's sex organ, I was like, oh, it's like a penis. Oh, no, wait. It's a vagina. Oh, wait. It's both? What is this? It's a, it's both. an indie starfish. <laughs> yes. It's so cool. Yeah. But I don't want to see a TV show try and visualize that. Like, I don't want to just be grossed out by it. What's great about the book is that I'm grossed out by it 
when I think about it, but I'm also kind of like, okay, well, I guess I could get used to that if if she's okay with it and he's okay. Ah, it's just like, it's again, that like weird, unemotional, un... Ah. I, I imagine the aliens alternately looking like Sigmund the sea monster. Um, who I don't know if you guys remember that, that it was a TV show. Yeah. Um, uh, pasta <laughs> with, um, with orifices. Um, um, Medusa, because she describes them looking like Medusa. And, but so they, they're but do they sex walking organs. on legs. Pardon me? Are they walking on legs? They have, some have two legs and some have four legs. So she, when she's walking around, like in that, there's a long section where she goes on a vision quest to go meet, um, the, the dead Japanese guy. Mm-hmm. Um, whose name I don't recall. Um, and she sees all sorts of different shaped people. But then also there's their their penis arms, which grow out of them. I mean, the the one, the cool thing that she describes that I really liked is that, so they have these, these giant tentacles that lay on their body and move around so that they can see in 360 degrees, essentially, or and hear and perceive. And... I like the I love the description of like the sweep of the tentacles when they are paying everything is paying attention to you, like you. It's a really ominous thing though when like just one tentacle comes and pays attention to you. Yeah. Um. So I I don't know how they do that in TV either because it'd all be CGI and you'd have no emotional attachment to it. Like you know if, if you think about um a show like Battlestar Galactica the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, the reason that we felt so much for the Cylons that had, is because they look like humans. So we're a, we start, we start presuming that they have this kind of emotion, that kind of emotion. The, the actual Cylons that are in, you know, metal cases with the red light going between their eyes, they're disposable. You can just blow them up. We have no emotional feeling for them whatsoever. If I'm watching a TV show where there's a disgusting alien, it doesn't matter how fucking charming it is. I want that thing to die. I think it'll be cute. I, cute. I, cute. I, I do. I do. Honestly. Um, Here's the Punky Brewster episode where everyone gets raped by the spaceman. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely like a sea monstery element, but I mostly imagine like big floppy churros, you know, like, <laughs> like a it's giant like tentacle, bunny. but also as a cavern through it. Jesus Christ. But I did just oh. have churros last week. Oh, so. I love Top churros. Mind. God, I fucking love They're churros. They're the best. More things should taste like churros. We could do a whole like, show devoted to churros. Let's not. No. Hey, what? Let, let us, let's pose a question, though, to our audience here as we wrap up this episode. So, audience, we're coming up on our 100th episode, um, which is pretty amazing. Um let us know what you want us to do on our 100th episode, what your dream episode of Literary Disco would be. You can tweet at us. You can put it on our Facebook. You can you can just show up at Julia's house in Hartford and uh, hand her a message. Uh, if you're not on our stalker list, you can approach Ryder at any public outing. Um, <laughs> all those Don't things. Don't do that. <laughs> But let us know what uh, what you'd like to see or hear for our uh, our hundredth episode, and we'll see if we can make that happen for you.
Um, I, it was just like a really graphic description of alien sex. 